welcome to our latest employment law podcast from Stevenson Harwood. My name is Imogen Hayward and I'm an associate in our London office. I'm joined by Matilda Whittingham, who is also an associate in the team. As we reach the two-year anniversary since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, conversations surrounding hybrid working remain prevalent amongst both employers and employees. In this podcast, we'll be setting out the key issues for employers to consider from a short, medium and long-term perspective when considering hybrid working. Matilda, before we delve any deeper into the topic, can you explain what is meant by hybrid working? Yes, of course. There's no technical or legal definition of hybrid working, but typically it refers to working arrangements that allow two locations of work. The first is typically the office or workplace, and the second is a remote location, which is usually the employee's home. Sometimes employees are given the choice in determining when and how often they attend the office, with or without certain restrictions, or sometimes this is set by their employer. A recent study showed that 83% of workers prefer a hybrid working approach and that it can offer several benefits, which include an enhanced work-life balance, an agile working pattern and more flexibility for employees. Great. So starting with the short term, an employer considering adopting a hybrid working approach needs to consider what form of hybrid working would work best for the organisation. Ultimately, what hybrid working means to each company will be dependent on the needs of the company, the nature of their business and their employees. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. We have seen hybrid working patterns include, for example, all employees being required to attend their workplace a certain percentage of each week or month, with flexibility to decide which days suit them best within this. All employees being required to attend the workplace on the same days each week, so that teams can reconnect and work together. Employees working alternate weeks in the office. Other arrangements whereby employees work remotely as the norm with attendance in the office as required for onboarding, client meetings, team building, kickoff meetings, as well as any performance or formal HR processes that are needed. To work out what arrangement works best for each company, consider the lessons learned from any period of remote working so far, as well as consulting with employees and any applicable trade unions on what hybrid working may look like going forward. A sensible route could involve producing proposals as to how hybrid working arrangements would work and then circulating it to staff and representatives for their discussion and consideration. Once feedback is gathered, the company can develop a non-contractual hybrid working policy for the organisation which, if it is non-contractual, gives the employer flexibility to change it without seeking agreement. Individuals may have specific proposals that they want to accommodate, which can be discussed and agreed on an individual basis, or perhaps via a flexible working request, if that is more suitable depending on the nature of the request. It's also crucially important to remember that if an employer has an existing contractual hybrid working policy in place, they will need their employees' consent before any changes are made to it. And if any changes to contractual working practices affect 20 or more employees, employers may need to consult formally with the employee representatives. That's right. It will also be important to review employment contracts and consider any appropriate changes that need to be made with the necessary consultation and agreement in order to reflect the new working arrangements. Employers may want to consider building in a trial period for testing new hybrid arrangements, which gives flexibility to change the arrangement. We'd advise seeking specialist advice before embarking on a process involving contractual changes to ensure that the rollout runs as smoothly as possible and minimises risks to the employer. 
Aside from policies and contractual arrangements, employers need to consider the practical arrangements required to ensure that there is both adequate and appropriate equipment to allow employees to produce their best work and communicate effectively with other members of their team. Employers have a legal duty to take steps to protect the health, safety and welfare of their employees and must provide and maintain a safe place of work regardless of where the employees are located. Fulfilling this duty may include providing headphones, laptops, phones, lighting, printers and even desks and chairs, as well as remote working cybersecurity and video conferencing software. Obviously, many employees have already worked remotely during the last two years, but given the arrangements were temporary, there could be issues with employees' current setups. Potential issues can be identified by a simple and sufficient risk assessment, which can include a self-assessment if, for any reason, an in-person risk assessment is not possible. There are also obligations on employers surrounding employees' use of display screen equipment, which should be considered. Employers also need to check their insurance policies to see if they need to inform insurers that their employees are working from home and to check if business insurance covers company property when in employees' homes. The remote working arrangements will have a knock-on effect for the office or workplace. If employees aren't coming in every day, employers may want to review their floor plan. Previously, many employees had their own desk or workspace, but hot desking may prove more efficient if, moving forward, the office will never be at 100% capacity. Alternatively, if employees are only coming into the office to perform joint tasks, employers may want to reduce the amount of space for individual working and replace it with more space for collaborative working. So those are some of the short-term issues for employers to consider, namely looking at existing arrangements, considering what works best for the workforce, looking at introducing or updating relevant policies and employment contracts, as well as remembering the importance of risk assessments and the health and safety duties an employer owes to their employees, even when working remotely. Imogen, what should employers think about in the medium term? Once the basics of hybrid working have been established, the next thing for employers to consider is how to manage their employees fairly, regardless of where they're located. For many companies, hybrid working presents new challenges because employees will be based in different locations, some at home and some in the office. One of the main fears about hybrid working is that when employees are working remotely, they are out of sight, out of mind. It's important that these employees are not disadvantaged particularly because this may create the risk of a discrimination claim. For example, people with childcare responsibilities or disabilities may prefer to work remotely because of the flexibility that it offers. To alleviate this risk, employers should consider, for example, reviewing existing processes and policies to ensure that they are appropriate and tailored to hybrid working. In particular, we would suggest that employers review their performance management, data protection and confidential information policies, as well as disciplinary and grievance rules and procedures. Setting clear expectations of what is expected from employees working either remotely or in the office, including any core hours they are expected to be available. Allocating work fairly, regardless of where employees are located. Scheduling regular catch-ups with employees, particularly during the implementation of any hybrid working policy, which will allow employees to raise any issues they have. Open dialogue and encouraging employees to speak up from the start will prevent bigger problems in the long term. Making all staff are kept up to date with any news or information about the company and are involved in any applicable decision-making processes. This avoids resentment where some employees think that they have been left out of the loop. And identifying areas of work where there are particular concerns that the policies or practices aren't inclusive and monitoring them carefully. 
We've also seen that hybrid working has presented new challenges to employees in managerial positions. It is definitely different and perhaps harder for managers to oversee a workforce based across several locations. Yes, as part of this, we recommend giving employees who are in management positions extra support to help them with the change to hybrid working, which they're likely to be responsible for rolling out. This can be through training sessions on topics such as remote performance management, communication and collaboration. Finally, let's look at issues that employers should consider in the long term, namely employee well-being and workplace culture. The importance of employee well-being has been highlighted throughout the pandemic with many employees experiencing an adverse effect on their mental health. Whilst most employees have worked remotely over the pandemic, hybrid working may present different challenges, such as potential divisions between those working from the office and those working from home, which can have a damaging impact on morale or teamwork, and which can have knock-on impacts on mental health. Imogen, what can workplaces do to look after their employees' well-being while hybrid working? There are several steps that employers can take. These include ensuring that employees are able to voice individual concerns and finding ways to support them. Some employees may be concerned about returning to the workplace, particularly at busy times. Hybrid working can give flexibility. Consider altering their schedule so that they can travel at quieter times. Signposting employees to the resources available to them, which can offer support, including employee assistance programmes, human resources or mental health champions. Training managers to anticipate and notice signs of employees struggling, for example, an employee who regularly doesn't attend meetings or who is working into the early hours of the morning. Regularly scheduling check-ins with employees is important, but it's also key that employees feel trusted and that they do not feel that they are being constantly monitored. Part of promoting employee well-being is ensuring that the workplace culture is not affected by hybrid working and creating positive workplace culture regardless of location. To help with this, Try and find ways of bringing hybrid employees together that aren't work-related. This could include in-person events that bring everyone into the office on the same day or having an online chat group dedicated to non-work-related matters. The introduction of hybrid working is an exciting opportunity for many workplaces with the potential to promote greater flexibility, inclusion and diversity. However, as the pandemic has shown, companies cannot predict the future. Any hybrid working policy should be continually monitored and updated to reflect employees' ongoing needs. Being proactive in addressing employees' worries, concerns or changes in circumstances is key. Implementing a trial period and setting up regular feedback sessions or opportunities will help with this. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this month's podcast. Please do get in touch if you have any questions on anything covered in today's podcast or on any other related topics. Thank you for listening. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the whole Employment Law series on iTunes and Stitcher or by visiting our website at www.employmentlawweb.com. Thank you.